Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show is presented by Mercury Mile. You know you want the best running gear. You know you do. So why not shop Mercury Mile? They have the best gear, and they send it right to your home. You keep what you love, you send back what you don't, and you never even have to leave the couch to do it. Just go to mercurymile.com and use code RAMBLINGRUNNER10 at checkout to save $10. They have the best gear from all sorts of brands. And I say that as someone who has... I think I've now had five different Mercury Mile boxes sent to my home. Almost everything that I run in either came from Mercury Mile or was a t-shirt at a race that I ran in. There's really two two categories of clothes that I have. And while I love those t-shirts on race day, they don't compare to the stuff that you get from Mercury Mile. Uh, There is no question about that. So hit them up, mercurymile.com. So today's episode is with Natalie Sanger. Natalie is someone who, like many people who I've interviewed on this show, is really killing it as a runner, but also doing so many other things. And we touched on a lot of stuff, and not just running in this episode. Um, we also touched on a little youth sports because she is a youth sports soccer coach in Southern California. And hey, if you're into soccer, There is no better place in the country than Southern California for it. So we touched on some youth sports and talk about her coaching methods, as well as someone who has gone through and been coached for a long period of time as a former soccer player, now turned into a runner. So this episode touches on a lot of things. Natalie is such a fun person to talk to, and I could not wait to finally get her on the show. And I have no doubt that you'll love this episode. So here's my conversation with Natalie Sanger. Hello, Natalie, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Thank you for coming on the show. I couldn't wait to get you on because, first of all, you've had a pretty crazy spring from a racing perspective, like the highs <laughs> and lows. Like you, You've really experienced it all. Yes. Yes, I have. <laughs> That's for sure. And you rocked the um, your, your first sub-20 5K um, last weekend. Yeah. So first of all, congratulations. Thank that's you. always, that's always you know, breaking those, those round numbers is always fun. I know. I don't know what it was about 20, but I just wanted to break 20 for so long. So finally happened. <laughs> finally happened. And you were on a tough course too, right? Yeah, it was, uh, I expected it to be, um, flat cause it was at the beach and it, they said it was kind of on the boardwalk and like kind of went into the neighborhoods a little bit, but yeah, it was, I think close to like 200 feet of elevation for the, for the 5k, which is a lot for three miles. So, um, it was just like up and down the whole time. Oh, so the rolling hills, yeah. so would you prefer the rolling hills or like the big monster hill? Oh, uh, if you had to have like 200 feet, I actually prefer rolling hills as opposed to having one big monstrous hill. I think I actually race better on rolling hills cause I like the downhill. And then I, I think my legs just like the, the change of, terrain got and do you do you train on on a a usually fairly hilly routes or are you more um trying to stay as flat as possible and consistent and really be able to judge your pacing um so it kind of depends on what i'm doing so if i'm doing just a regular like monday run or something where it's just there's no paces or anything that i'm trying to hit uh for those i try to train on rolling hills or like trails um so we have a really cool trail that I like to go to around my, um, in my neighborhood that is pretty up and down. Um, and so that's kind of where I get my hill work in. <laughs> and then, um, but if I'm doing some sort of like pace workout, then I have a couple of like flat trails that I go to where I try to pretty much avoid any type of hill. <laughs> and yeah, well, let's just, first of all, say where, where are you living? Oh, I live in Orange County. Got it. All right. And yeah. obviously I know that, but I want to <laughs> make sure that, that the context of it, which is like, obviously SoCal is you know, there's basically, there's not really been many other places just to be an athlete. Um, that's, that's for sure. True. It's just such an active area <laughs> and, and we can certainly get into to a variety of other things that we're going to talk about later on regarding that. Um, and you know, when you're, when you're doing through your training and I guess this is a big thing too, for you is that you've been on this cycle of marathon, you know, basically one marathon cycle after another. And now after Boston, 
what is it like for you to really kind of start focusing on some more of the shorter stuff? Yeah, so I've had a goal of doing shorter stuff for a while. Uh, I think it's been like three years. Uh, three years ago is when I kind of started like doing marathons every probably like every five to six months. And it just kind of happened because I picked a goal marathon and it just happened to be like six months later. So I just didn't, I never had a good like four month period, like four to six month period where I could really work on speed. Um, And I know that that's super good for marathoners is to, you know, take a chunk of time and just um, cut back on the mileage and work just on getting faster. Um, and so I've been looking forward to this break for a long time, probably for about a year. Um, cause I knew I was going to do Boston this year and I knew I wanted to do CIM and I, I knew that that was going to be, um, a lot on my body <laughs> and I knew it was going to be challenging and it definitely was. So, um, I am doing, uh, I, we can talk about this later, but I am doing another marathon in December. So I have a good chunk of time now. Um, and for the first time in probably two years, I'm not having any, um, I've been dealing with this chronic Achilles issue, which we can talk about um, for a while. And so fast stuff was hard to do with that. Um, so I'm finally healthy and I have time. So it's really nice not having, you know, 20 mile runs on the weekend where my long run is now like eight to 10 miles instead of 18 to 20 miles. So um, I'm really enjoying it. And how quickly after Boston did you start running again in that kind of a back to close to the level that you would normally run and kind of, you know, kind of after the recovery period back into, you know, somewhat training again. Yeah. So I took about 10 days completely off. No, no exercise, no nothing. I feel like every marathon, the recovery time gets um, a little bit longer. (laughs) Um, But I think that's not necessarily to do with uh, that. It's more, um, intense on my body. It's more just, I know, I think I have the maturity now to know that taking 10 to 14 days completely off after a marathon is actually more beneficial. Um, like I'm not losing any fitness or I'm, you know, you naturally do lose a little bit of fitness if you take a couple weeks off, but it's nothing that I can't get back quickly. And it's, I've learned over the last few cycles that it's better to take, you know, a few weeks off, like immediately after than to try to uh, get back into it too soon. Um, I've learned that the hard way before. <laughs> so, um, I probably took about 10, 10 or 10 to 12 days completely off. And then it was just easy runs. Um, so really, really slow paced runs, uh, for about three weeks, I want to say. Um, and it was, you know, no more than probably 20 miles a week, if that, uh, and then probably about a month after Boston is when we really started to add back in some speed work, um, into my runs. And what was that like? Because as you mentioned, you really hadn't been doing a ton of speed, like hard speed stuff Mm -hmm. for a while, uh, with the marathon training and with the Achilles. So what did those early workouts look for you? Not only in terms of, you know, the design of them, but how did you feel in executing them? Yeah. So I, I'm fortunate enough that I, I grew up playing soccer And so I have, I feel like I have natural kind of fast twitch muscles in me. They're just kind of hibernating right now. So (laughs) I feel like I just kind of have to wake them back up and, um, you know, spend some months training those. Uh, But so my first technical speed work was actually a race. Um, So I I did what we call the rust buster race. Um, And it was just my first race back after Boston. And that was a 5k. And, um, I just plan to go out, race it hard. I don't ever, I I always race blind. So I don't look at my watch or anything. I just go by effort and, um, it hurt for sure. (laughs) Um, but that's why we call it a rust buster. So it kind of, um, after that, I felt like I kind of got my legs back a little bit. Yeah. So when you, when you were going through that race and you were really, you were working hard, what, what do you think, I guess, those races are so tough. I yes. guess let me put it this way. In terms of like having that feeling, you know, that's so you know, anathema to like a marathon workout, mm-hmm. right? Where mm-hmm. like it's like the long, slow, painful, you know, l- you know, long run or temporal workout or even the race, like that 5K feeling is like such a different kind of hurt. Yes. Like it's it's shorter. And so I can kind of, you know, convince my brain that 
you know, you can do this because it's only three miles, but it's, it's painful right from the start. So it's just a very different in a marathon. It's nice. Cause you get, you know, 12 to 15, you know, if you, if you pace yourself well, um, you know, even if you're racing a marathon, the first, you know, half is going to feel pretty, pretty easy, um, like pretty doable. So the, the 5k is different in that it hurts as soon as you start. <laughs> right. And it's also one of those things where it's like, you, you always forget, you're like, Oh, I'm super in shape now, but you're like, it doesn't mean it's going to hurt any less. It just yeah. means it'll be, it just means you'll be running faster. Exactly. Than you exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then the also thing is like, I know intellectually that like five K's are going to be painful, mm-hmm. but it's, it's like, I don't know, man. Every time I run one, I'm like, oh. They're kind of surprising. <laughs> yeah, it's like, the, like I, I was like, even though I was saying it, I was like also minimizing it in my head. Like, since I know it's painful, it won't be as painful yeah. because I'm already aware of it. It's yeah. like, no, no, no. That's not how it works. Yep. Yeah, that's something that um, I, I've been reading a lot of books about that, about kind of pre- like prepping your mind for the pain and not telling yourself like it's not going to hurt because that that kind of uh, preps your, your mentality to expect no pain. And then when you do feel pain, it gets frustrating. Um, so rather than that kind of doing the opposite and telling yourself like, it's okay to hurt, you're not going to die. You're going to be fine, but just expect the pain. And so that's kind of helped me with like, especially that 5k pain, just expecting the hurt. And that way, when it, it starts to happen, it's not so frustrating. (laughs) Yeah. And that's a tough needle to thread, right? Being yeah. able to like being aware of what's coming, yep. but not focusing on the negative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a really, it's, it's kind of a, it's an art that you kind of have to practice and you have to, tr- you have to practice uh, in your races and then also in your workouts. So you just have to constantly prep your mind for the pain. Um, but not like you said, just like not get negative about it, not you know, say like, Oh, this, this sucks. You know, I can't do this, but rather saying stuff like, um, you know, I'm, I'm expecting this to hurt, but I'm, you know, I'm stronger than the pain or, you know, like little things like that to kind of, you know, prep your mind, but also encourage your mind. (laughs) So what exactly is your soccer background? So I played soccer starting when I was about 10 years old. Um, so I was a little bit of a leader start. A lot of kids, especially nowadays start at like four or five, Um, but I started playing at around 10. Um, I got into competitive soccer when I was 12 and then played competitively, uh, at a pretty high level until I was, um, graduating high school. And then I played college soccer, um, at, uh, Biola university, which is a, um, a university in orange County. That's how I ended up up here in orange County. And, um, yeah, so I played, I only played for three years. I didn't end up playing my my senior year because I got injured a lot and um, I just decided to take my senior year off and just focus on school and focus on graduating. Got it. And then when you finished up with college and Mm -hmm. you got into your post-college life, what drew you to running? So I was working full-time and I, at the time, was just kind of going to the gym. I I was going through a time in my life um, and we can chat about this you know, in a little bit, but, uh, during college soccer, I developed a pretty bad eating disorder and got very obsessive with working out and dieting and all the things that come with that. So I was still kind of in that phase as I graduated, um, you know, leaving college soccer, um, didn't necessarily hurt or help that it just kind of, um, I just was able to focus more on being, obsessive about working out. So at the time I was, you know, really into, um, you know, the elliptical, I, I absolutely hated running, (laughs) which is kind of ironic. Um, but I was all about the elliptical, all about lifting weights, um, just being in the gym for as long as I could. Uh, and there was, uh, my company, a bunch of the employees from the company were doing this mud run, this 5k mud run. Um, and we all decided to just get together and do it. Um, and it turns out I actually signed up for the wrong date. So my, all of my, um, friends were doing the, the mud run, like the month before, and I ended up having like a month more to train for it. So I think I did like one three mile run on the treadmill and that was pretty much my training for that. So I, you know, jumped in the mud run and I ended up coming in second place. Um, 
So I, I don't, my time was pretty slow. I don't know that there was a ton of super fast runners and it was, you know, a mud run. So you're running through mud and it's not really about time. It's more just about finishing and having fun. Um, but that I just kind of caught the competitive bug and I, you know, coming in second place was like so exciting. And so that was kind of the run that did it for me. I, um, that competition uh, in running kind of took the place of the competitiveness that I had had in soccer that I didn't have anymore. Um, so then I was just kind of, you know, chasing running instead of chasing soccer. <laughs> right. And like you just mentioned, like, obviously a mud run isn't about time. It's mm-hmm. usually because this group effort and all yep. of that. But do you think the fact that you placed there kind of led to this positive feeling that helped spur on like your attraction to running? Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Now, when you, you say you developed, uh, you were battling an eating disorder in college as mm-hmm. part of your, you know, as part of college soccer. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you think may have caused that within you? Um, there was a lot of stuff. I had had a pretty, um, a pretty tough senior year of high school, just some stuff that had happened with my family. And, um, I went away to school for my first year. I went, um, up to like central California for school and had a really terrible experience up there. So I ended up transferring to the university that I graduated from. Um, and I think just a combination of the stuff that was going on at home and, um, I just some, I, I honestly don't know what it was, but there was just something that all of a sudden I just, I think I just needed to control something in my life. And I, I, um, I ended up getting injured my first year of college soccer um, and I couldn't play until probably the last month of soccer. And so I missed the entire season. And during that time I was, you know, trying to stay in shape so that when I was ready again, uh, you know, I could just jump right back in. And that just kind of spiraled for me. It just kind of all of a sudden, you know, working out to stay fit turned into an obsessive working out that turned into, you know, counting calories. And, you know, I was, any, anything that went into my mouth, I was, you know, I was meticulously counting and, uh, you know, depending on how many calories I would eat that day was, you know, how long I would stay on the elliptical for that day. And it was just, it became like this crazy obsession for probably like three or four years. Um, so I don't know that there was any one thing that spurred it on. Um, it was kind of a, it seems like it was kind of a compilation of things that just kind of like one thing after another. And then all of a sudden I'm, I'm like spiraling. Right. No, absolutely. And it sounds like you're basically treating your eating and working out as like this, like internal math problem that you're yes. always trying to balance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was crazy. <laughs> and it, but you know, here you are, you know, many years removed from this, still, mm-hmm. you know, still working out a lot and eating well. Yeah. So what about what, what changed for you that allowed you to, to get a handle on both of these things in a, a healthy way as opposed mm-hmm. to an unhealthy way? Yeah. So I always tell people that I know I hated running when I was growing up. I hated running as a soccer player, but running, I feel like saved my life. Um, I, when I graduated college, I had kind of gotten a handle on the eating disorder and then I ended up getting married right out of college and, um, my husband and I, uh, you know, were up in Orange County. I was working full time and I felt like I had recovered from that. But all of a sudden, I basically just plummeted again after about um, after about a year. And I didn't tell anyone. And it turned into a full on just separate, um, separate disorder than than what I had before. So, um, you know, that that kind of second eating disorder kind of spiraled into more of a bulimia and it was, it, it got so bad that I, I have a, on a side note, I have a, um, an underlying, um, heart condition that has always, I've always had it my whole life. It's never, it's never affected me. It's always been kind of, um, uh, it just, it's never really affected me as far as like being an athlete or anything. It was just kind of something that, you know, my parents were aware of and I was aware of, but the, just the, stress that I was putting on my body from, you know, the, the eating disorder and the, um, just everything that goes along with that ended up causing my, my heart to get worse. And I ended up needing, um, surgery about, I want to say it was like six or seven years ago. Um, and that was kind of my wake up call. So once 
surgery was scheduled. I, um, I hadn't told anyone about what I was going through. So, you know, part of the eating disorder allure is that it's a secret, you know, it's, it's something that you don't tell anyone. It's, it's, you know, the secret that nobody else knows. And it's kind of, it kind of feeds into that control part. And so, um, I remember my husband telling me, um, nothing, it wasn't even talking about eating disorders, but I remember him telling me something about, you know, how, uh, you, you take away power from things over you when you, when you talk about them. So, you know, when you keep it a secret, it, it has power over you. And so that was something that just was kind of in my mind, you know, in the back of my head this whole time. And then after my surgery was scheduled, I ended up, you know, telling my husband, telling a couple of my close friends, you know, telling my family what was going on. And like slowly but surely, it just kind of like lost its power over me. It like kind of lost its like grip over me. Like every single person I told, it, it feels like it was just like a weight off of me that, you know, I wasn't carrying this alone anymore. And so, um, you know, after I had surgery and uh, I recovered from that, um, the surgery was fairly minor. I know heart surgery sounds, it's, it, you know, it, it is still heart surgery, but it was a minor heart surgery. So I was um, you know, back to work in about two weeks and back to like working out probably at a, after about a month or so. And um, there was just something inside me that kind of recognized that, you know, if I wanted to continue to run, which was something that I loved doing, that I couldn't treat my body like this anymore. And it was, you know, unfortunately for me, it got to the point where I, you know, I had done so much damage on my heart that I needed surgery, but I'm, also very thankful that it wasn't worse than that. And that, you know, what, what I had done was able to be undone, um, you know, for some people that might not be the case. And so I am very fortunate and very lucky that that is all that happened. And so, um, you know, slowly, but surely I just kind of, anytime then after that, I started feeling, you know, the urges again to, you know, dive back into that eating disorder. I, reminded myself, you know, this isn't going to help your running, you know, this is this is going to make you weaker, not stronger. And, um, you know, it was I kind of used running as my, my healing tool where, you know, I, um, I, I was just, I wasn't so focused on like, how much I was eating anymore, it kind of transitioned into, um, you know, the food is helping you get faster. And I was kind of able to finally you know, convince myself. And I was also going to counseling as well during this process as well. So that was helpful in kind of dealing with this. But I just, um, I basically was kind of able to transition my mind into no longer thinking of food as the enemy, but food was my tool for getting better at running. And so that's why I say like, running, it feels like saved my life. You know, obviously, I had my husband there helping me as well and my family and um, friends that knew what was going on. But running was really my, um, the thing that I was chasing after the thing that, you know, kept me, kept me from spiraling again, um, just because I knew how badly it had gone that, that last time. And I knew how badly it was going to affect my body if I did allow it to take over again. And so, um, yeah, so that's kind of my, my story about you know, eating disorder and kind of how that relates to running for me and partially why I'm so passionate about running. Um, some people, some of my friends and even my family think that I'm a little bit obsessed with running, but it, it's more than just running for me. It, it really has, um, you know, helped me heal from this horrible disorder. Yeah. And it sounds like you had a very, you know, paradigm shift in terms of your outlook on food, which certainly is, I'm, I'm sure, certainly important, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And how did how did counseling help you um, with this process, um, especially in terms of recognizing, you know, those urges, as you put them, as yeah. they started to manifest themselves? So counseling is very different than what I, um, what I thought it was. Um, at least, I mean, I, every counselor I think is a little bit different, but for me, um, something that was just really helpful was having a safe space to talk about, you know, what was going on in my mind. And then my counselor just kind of gave me a lot of tools, um, to like, she was the one that kind of initially said, like, um, you know, kind of gave me this idea of, you know, 
if you want to be a better runner, then, you know, you, you kind of, you have to look at food differently. And so she was kind of the one that helped to spark that, that thought a little bit. So, but honestly, it was mostly just me talking <laughs> like for, I know, again, all counselors are a little bit different. Um, but my counselor specifically, especially the one that I was going to in college, um, she kind of just let me talk for an hour. And I at first found that a little bit intimidating, but, um, after a couple sessions, you kind of realize that, uh, you know, you have a lot to say, and this person is, is here basically just to listen and, and, you know, just to be a person to support you and listen to, to you talk for an hour about yourself. And it's, kind of liberating because you, you know, you don't have to worry about like feeling selfish, like, oh, I have to ask this person how they're doing, or, (laughs) you know, like I have to ask this person, um, you know, what's going on in their life. You know, it's, it's literally just for you. It's, it's you trying to help yourself heal. And it's, um, I always tell people, it's kind of an hour that you get to be a little bit selfish and just talk about yourself and talk about what's going on in your life. Um, so Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I think I think that's a great way of putting it. And I know like, for me, you know, when I was, you know, kind of coming through a depressive period, for me, it was like being able to self-identify like what I was feeling and why. And for me, like I was always like, I couldn't, I, I, I obviously could feel things in my body, but I never, I felt like I never saw more than like five feet beyond me yeah. in regards to like my emotions or what were causing things. Mm-hmm. And like after seeing therapists, I felt like I could see things coming much farther away and know what they were instead of like yeah. misplacing it and being like, Oh, that's just because I got in an argument with somebody mm-hmm. and that's why I'm feeling this way. Or, oh, it's mm-hmm. just cause I'm tired. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. like I was always saying that and like, granted there were probably times I was tired, but sure. there's like, there were many <laughs> there's probably that, something else going on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I feel like after being in counseling, I was able to like see these waves coming from much farther away before they crashed mm-hmm. on my head. Yeah, it's nice because you can kind of start to recognize patterns and you can recognize kind of even now, you know, when I haven't struggled with necessarily with this eating disorder for years, even now I can I can recognize like those initial um, those initial red flags now where I can see that and catch it early, which I'm sure is, you know, similar for you or, you you know, you're no longer kind of caught off guard with it. You're you know, you're able to recognize those signs a little bit earlier. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and getting back to your running, after you've gone through that period um, where, you know, after you were married, you went through the crippling period with bulimia, and then you got out of it, you went on a hot streak with your running, Natalie. <laughs> you, as you put it, um, you basically went, I think it was like, what, three or four years in a row, where you basically PR'd every marathon yeah. you were doing, which is obviously is, is remarkable. Also, like you were like coming into it as a newbie. So obviously, the more you were running, you were going to get faster and faster. But mm-hmm. as you started doing that, how did your relationship with running change compared to where it was when you first got into it? So I feel like when I first got into it, I was using it as a tool to kind of like lose weight. And Um, you know, it was kind of my replacement for what I had been doing on the elliptical. So every run was as hard as I could go. And, um, I, I feel like after I recovered and after I, you know, mentally was in a better place, um, I, I feel like I, I just loved running. Like I, I honestly, I just, I love chasing PRs. Like I love, um, that that's what keeps me coming back is like the possibility of a PR, And, you know, just, just knowing that, you know, I have to fuel properly in order to make that happen, um, is just, it's very, it's very different relationship than it was when it first started. Right. So you were killing it. You're, you're going through these times, you're, you got your, your Boston marathon qualifier, you're in 328 and you kept getting faster and faster. And I know that you were looking forward to the Boston marathon, as you Mm -hmm. just mentioned, like you knew a year ahead of time, you couldn't wait to go. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you had an experience at Boston, which seems like you did not see coming at all. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, after CIM, so I, um, I was working in a job up until January and um, unfortunately the job got pretty stressful and I was just going through a lot of anxiety. It honestly was probably the closest to spiraling back into this these not maybe not necessarily like an eating disorder, but 
those red flags were popping up and I could, I could just kind of see it slowly happening. And so I was trying to get myself out of this job just because it was causing me so much anxiety. And when I ran CIM, um, I had so much anxiety going into that race. And then during the race, I had probably three or four panic attacks, just like broke down crying. I had no idea how I was going to get through 26 miles. And, um, you know, I think that day was a, a tough day for a lot of people, but, um, I had my, my sight set and I had trained for, um, you know, a 305. And when I honestly, I, I ran a 311 and I was honestly, usually I would be pretty disappointed with that just because, you know, I didn't hit the, my, my quote unquote, my angle, but I was, honestly so relieved that it was over and that I had still come out with, you know, a decent PR. Um, and I honestly didn't even care that I I hadn't hit the time that I had trained for. Um, I was just kind of done with, with everything. (laughs) You know, I wanted, I kind of just needed a break. And so, um, as, uh, fate would have it, I actually ended up getting laid off in January. And so, um, that kind of took away a huge, um, a huge, stress that was in my life. And so I kind of was, I I think having that happen, you know, for a little while, I was a little bit, you know, depressed and, you know, going through the, the feelings that happen when you get laid off, just feeling like guilty and feeling like it was your fault and stuff like that. But, um, after about a few weeks, I, I recognized that, you know, my, my anxiety had gone down a lot. My stress had gone down a lot. So I I recognized that it was actually something that needed to happen. And, um, so I kind of was expecting a lot out of this training cycle for Boston, but I also recognized that it was pretty much back to back. Um, and I don't ever do that because I just, I just know myself and I know I can get burnt out really easily. And so only having a few weeks of downtime before I had to pick up again for Boston was a little bit, uh, nerve wracking for me. So, um, I felt like I had a decent training cycle, but the Boston, the actual race of Boston was just, uh, very different than what I had, um, imagined. (laughs) Yeah. So when you look back on it now, we'll talk about the race in a second. When you look Mm -hmm. back on it now, can you look, can you see points in your training, um, or poor points, just like in your, your mental and physical health, which, um, you feel like could have foreshadowed what happened at Boston, or do you think it was more just like, it was just a crazy day? Um, I think it was a couple of things. I think it was a crazy day. I think, um, yeah, and we can talk about that in a second, but I think that affected me, but I also think, um, it was kind of a combination of, um, my whole life changed in January because, you know, I'm no longer working at a normal eight to five job. I'm kind of getting used to a new lifestyle of coaching and, um, you know, doing my own thing and chasing my own, um, my own business and stuff like that. But, um, so I think that went into it. And, um, honestly, I, I, I feel like the races like CIM in Boston, it's, it's a really hard, um, that's a really hard jump to make because they're only, they're technically only, I think five months apart. And, you know, if you give yourself a month off between marathons, you, you know, you know, you're basically jumping right back into training again. And marathon training is really, really hard. You know, it's, it's very stressful. You know, I love it. Um, but it is, it's hard on your body. It's hard mentally, you know, having to get up and run, 12 miles on a Tuesday or, you know, 20 miles on a Saturday, like it just kind of takes over your life for a while. And I, I feel like I need a couple months off after every marathon to kind of just reset myself and kind of get my life back in order. And I feel like I didn't have that going into Boston. So, um, I think, I don't know. I, I feel like that might've affected me a little bit. So when you were going into the race, how were you feeling about just how your trading cycle went? and what your goal time or goal times were going into the race? So I had, I felt, um, you know, with, with the, with the cycles being so close to each other, the whole cycle actually felt really good. So I felt like my body was responding to my training really well. And, um, you know, I felt like I was getting faster. I, I ran a half, um, PR in the Boston cycle and that was probably about a month out. And so I felt like I was, I actually felt really confident in, um, 
being able to, I was just going after, um, I was really just going after a PR cause I, I understand that the course is really difficult. Um, and I've never ran it before. So, uh, and just with traveling and the logistics, I, I kind of was trying to be a little bit realistic with my goal time. And so I really just wanted something under a 311. So I really, I didn't care really what time it was, but again, I had trained for a 305. So I kind of had that in the back of my mind as something I was going for, but you know, I'd also be happy with a 310 or a 309 or something. So, um, yeah. So going into the race, even race morning when the weather was, uh, it was thunderstorming and pouring rain and, um, I think it was already like 70 degrees while it, so it was not like a cold storm. It was a hot storm. Um, I think just even that I was still, I still went in feeling really confident. So how quickly into the race did you notice that something or something some things <laughs> weren't going quite right? Yeah. Um, about four miles was so when I realized it. That's super <laughs> early. So, so yes. what is that like in terms of First of all, what was going on and, and what part of you was thinking like, okay, I'm just imagining this. The first mm-hmm. half marathon is never that hard if mm-hmm. I'm pacing myself right. And how much of you was like, no, this is serious. Um, so I think I was trying to stay positive because I knew it was early on in the race and I don't like, um, you know, I, I don't like having to use my, my like mental tricks until later on, but I was like mile three, you know, the first I don't know, five, five to seven miles of Boston are, are pretty downhill. Um, and like I said before, I don't usually like look at my watch when I race, I'll glance down here and there just to make sure I'm on pace. Um, you know, make sure I'm not being lazy or vice versa, like not make sure I'm not going out too fast, but for the most part, I'm usually running on effort. So my effort felt like what a, you know, about a seven minute to a seven ten mile pace should feel like, um, at least like what it felt like in training. And every time I looked down at my watch, literally from mile, probably mile two, um, I'd look down and my watch would say like seven forty five, <laughs> like seven fifty. And at that point, you're still going downhill. And so that was kind of the point around mile four. I every mile that clicked off in the early miles, I just kept telling myself, you know. Um, you know, maybe just give your body some time to get into it. Um, sometimes my body just takes a little bit longer to warm up. And I was just like, you know, don't, don't panic right now. You're fine. Like, let's just try to, you know, pick up the pace a little bit in the next few miles. And just as I tried to increase my effort a little bit, it just felt like, it felt like I was sprinting. (laughs) It was, I'm sure you've experienced that in, you know, workouts or races where you feel like you can't run any faster, but you look down and you're going like an eight minute mile or a nine minute mile and you're just like, Oh no, what is happening? And so that kind of happened in, in the first five or six miles. And, um, I think, uh, at that point I kind of was just accepting, I think I had kind of had accepted defeat at that point at mile six. Cause I just knew if it feels this hard, at mile six, there's no way that I'm going to be running, you know, seven minute miles today. <laughs> which, which brings like, which, which brings up the, the obvious point of like, okay, so you came to that realization, were you able to disconnect from your goals or were, did you, did you feel this constant like comparison game of like, I should be doing X. I trained for X. I, you know, like just that the, the emotions that go along with marathon training is like, you only have like this one time yeah. to make it happen. So, <laughs> so what were you feeling like emotionally as you know, your body was kind of doing the opposite of what you were expecting? So I feel like I went through like all the emotions. So it was like, at first I was, you know, I was positive still. I was like, you know, we still have 20 miles. We're fine. And then it turned into, oh my gosh, I still have 20 miles. (laughs) Like I'm already feeling horrible. How am I going to get through 20 miles? So then I started getting anxious. And then, um, I, I, I didn't break down during this marathon, which was good. And in, in CIM, I broke down a couple times because um, it was just, I was, again, just going through a lot of anxiety at that point. Um, but I didn't feel super anxious. I honestly, the the whole marathon feels like a blur. And I realized at the end why that was. My So I, I know a lot of um, people have talked about the weather that day, but 
basically the weather that day when we started the race, I was in wave, the beginning of wave two and it was about 75 degrees and like 90% humidity when we started. And so, um, you know, we had all prepped mentally for a, a race similar to last year's, which was like freezing and like raining and, you know, hurricane, but even, even, even like four days out, they were saying low fifties. Yes. So we had kind of prepped our minds and, you know, even what we were wearing, like we had just kind of prepped for it to be cold. And I don't think anyone expected it to be hot and humid. So, um, and I, I actually grew up on the East coast. I was there till I was 10 years old. And so I remember that weather. Um, but I haven't ran in that weather in a long time. (laughs) So I think my body, honestly, I think my body was in, um, just, uh, survival mode, literally from like that mile five or six point. Because when I, when I finally finished, I, I like, couldn't see straight. I was kind of like wobbly. Um, I thought it was okay, but then I ended up, um, kind of blacking out and ended up in the med tent and they took my temperature and I had like 103 degree fever. And so I, I think I was just, I I think my body did not respond well to the heat and I was literally just in survival mode. I just remember, I remember thinking after every mile, just get to the finish line, just get to the finish line. Like, I don't care how fast or slow you go, just get to the finish line. Because I knew if I dropped out that, you know, (laughs) honestly, I, I just felt like waiting for someone to come get me was going to be longer than just getting to the finish line. And so I just kept telling myself, like, it'll be shorter if you just get to the finish line. And that was kind of my motivation. So I got there, but my body was in like heat stroke at that point. <laughs> and it's amazing your recovery from since then. So CIM, as you mentioned, like obviously mm-hmm. you ran a great time, but it was a very hard race for you physically, yeah. mentally, and emotionally. Yeah. January was what it was. And yeah. you, you talked about that. And then, you know, then the Boston Marathon, which you had spent years preparing for, did mm-hmm. not go the way you hoped. We started this episode by talking about how you just killed a 5K. So what was <laughs> it like? We talked about the physical aspect of, like, what, what your recovery looked like, how you got back into training, the Rust Buster 5K, so mm-hmm. on so on and so forth. But what did post-Boston look like for you mentally and emotionally trying to regain your footing? Um, so immediately after, I was so upset after I had kind of left my body had cooled down and I was released from the med tent. Um, I just remember like, it's, it's kind of a long walk after the race to find your, your family and to find the people that you are wanting to see. So, um, I think I walked around for like 15 minutes trying to find my coach, um, cause she had ran the race too. And I remember seeing her and just immediately just breaking down sobbing. <laughs> I just like, I was, it was just years and years of, um, you know, this is what I had worked for. And it just, it felt like I had just failed. I felt like I failed myself. I felt like I failed her. Um, but honestly, that didn't really last very long. I, I was, I was disappointed immediately because, um, it just wasn't the, the bright and shiny experience that everyone kind of describes Boston as. And it, it was just a very different experience, um, than what I had pictured, not just time-wise, but just, um, just like the pre-race stuff, like everything was just hard. Everything felt hard. (laughs) And so, um, I think it was just, I kind of, at that moment, everything kind of came together and it just hit me like, like, I can't believe that's over. Like that, that big experience that I'd been waiting for, for years was over. And so, um, yeah, so immediately I was, you know, a little bit disappointed, a little bit sad, but after a couple of days, you know, I, um, I, I feel like I kind of picked myself back up and was able to kind of talk myself through recovering from that mentally. Um, physically, it, that race beat me up, even though it was my slowest time in like two years. That race beat me up more than most of my marathons had. Um, and so I think just transitioning out of that, I was really just excited to train for something other than a marathon. And I think that's kind of what, um, kind of helped me to pick myself back up. I, I feel like, to be honest, Matt, I feel like a month or so out, I kind of was just like putting my sights past Boston already. Like I was, I feel like I wasn't even like focused on Boston, um, which I feel like is really terrible to say. Um, 
especially just after, you know, all the work that it took to get there. But I just was, um, I think I was just a little bit burnt out from like long distance and marathoning. And I feel like I was just really looking forward to the change of pace, um, and like running shorter distances. Um, it's just a little bit of a lower commitment level. It's not so hard on your body. You know, you can run a 5k and then, you know, go have a full day of, you know, being normal <laughs> the day of it doesn't really beat you, beat you up too much. So, um, yeah, I think, I think just having a change of pace, change of training right now is kind of what got me through that. And it's it's been well chronicled that one of the best ways to get to overcome burnout is to not necessarily change your behavior. Like, all right, you still you kept running mm-hmm. and you kept being an athlete and participating in athletics, but 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 shifting focus from self to others. And that's mm-hmm. something that you do all the time. You know, you're a club soccer coach. You coach O sixes, which are twelve and thirteen year old girls down mm-hmm. in the Southern California area, which is like the national hotbed. Of soccer. soccer, yeah, yeah. So, so you're, and you're coaching, a, you know, a, a very impressionable age group. As we, we've all, go, and if you're listening to this podcast, you've gone through middle school. No one's listening to this podcast is in fifth grade. So <laughs> we've all been there. We know what the crucible of that is like. Yes. Um. So what is that like for you, coaching girls at, at that age group, where obviously are very competitive and who are driven and who you know see sports as more than just hey, it's fun to be outside. Mm-hmm. All the things that you've talked about, you've learned so many lessons through running. What's it like for you to now work with athletes who you feel like you might ha- be able to impart some of this on? Yeah. So um, coaching soccer is – I've coached soccer for a while, but I've only just assisted and mostly been an assistant coach for my husband. Um, so this is my first team that I've actually been the head coach where I'm in charge and you know I get to you know determine what we're training for and – Um, so it was a little bit scary at first because, um, because I know that age is really scary. (laughs) Um, I remember being that age. Um, so they're, they're like six, sixth and seventh graders. And so I, you know, I remember being that age. Um, and so I think for me, um, just to go back to, you know, recovering from, uh, an eating disorder when I was recovering from that, um, I was also helping coach college soccer as well, um, on the girl side. And they were honestly some of my biggest, um, my biggest reasons why I tried to like really push for getting myself healed. Um, just because all of those girls, not all of them, but a lot of those girls are also going through those same things, those same thoughts. And they're, you know, at the age where I started feeling all of those, those thoughts and started to spiral a little bit. And I recognized that, you know, if I'm going to be able to have an impact on these girls, that I need to, he, I need to be healed. Like I can't be struggling with this and, you know, behind the scenes, you know, doing one thing and then, you know, telling these girls that, you know, you're beautiful and you're strong and you're perfect the way that you are. And then behind the scenes, you know, telling myself the opposite. And so that's something that I've taken into consideration when I'm coaching these 12 and 13 year olds is, you know, I'm sure that there was things that happened when I were, when I was that age that, you know, affected my mentality, affected my image of myself. And so my philosophy behind coaching is just be as encouraging as possible. So even if I have to tell them something negative, you know, make it as positive or as encouraging as possible. So even if that means, you know, telling them, you know, a couple good things before I tell them something negative or tell them something that, you know, they need to do better. And so I, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm really just focused on, making these girls, um, I want them to know that like, that they have me as a safe person that they can talk to and that they can rely on. Um, and just someone that they can look up to. And, um, I don't know, that's it. I feel like it's a huge responsibility and I put a lot of pressure on myself to, you know, to make sure that I am someone who I respect and I want, I want to be someone that they respect as well. Um, so yeah, it is like, it's, it, I feel like at first it felt like a lot of pressure. It felt like, um, you know, this huge, this huge thing task that I was taking on, but now I honestly, I'm just kind of focused on like how much I love the girls and they're just an awesome group of girls. And, um, honestly, it's kind of bringing back the fun parts of soccer for me. Um, 
because my college experience wasn't wasn't the best and so I kind of left with a little bit of a a bad taste in my mouth so now I feel like I'm I'm able to kind of have fun with soccer again um and even introduce a little bit of that fitness element in for the girls as well and um you know kind of hopefully help them to uh to see fitness as not um not a horrible thing like I did when I was young (laughs) Natalie thank you so much for coming on the show one last thing I want to touch on before we get going you mentioned uh a little while ago that you're running your own business as well you're mm-hmm. coaching, you're doing strength training stuff um, remotely as well. So where can people get more information about that? Yeah. So my Instagram is runner girl, Natalie. And then um, if you want to visit my website, it's just runnergirlnatalie.com. Um, and you can either reach out to me on my website or you can message me on my Instagram. There you go. Natalie, thank you so much <laughs> for coming on the show. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Natalie, thank you so much for coming on the Rambling Runner podcast. I could not be more appreciative. This was such a fun conversation. Also, big shout out to our presenting sponsor, Mercury Mile. If you haven't been to mercurymile.com yet, man, I don't know what you're waiting for. If you listen to this show, you've heard me talk about them over a hundred times. And I swear to God, you got to check them out because you love high quality running gear. You love getting it inexpensively and you love doing it in a quick and efficient manner. Mercury Mile checks all of those boxes. Go to mercurymile.com. Use code RamblingRunner10 at checkout to save $10. Thank you so much for listening, rating, reviewing, and sharing the show. Also, for sending me recommendations. I read them all, and they really help me to really navigate the kinds of guests Not only that I would love to have on the show and talk to, but the kind of guests that you want to hear from. And that's also very important to me. So you can find me on Instagram at rambling underscore runner. That's also my Twitter handle. You can message me on both of those platforms as well as going to ramblingrunnerpodcast at gmail.com if you want to send me something a little bit longer. Thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.